you if this is your first time with us today, then you've already probably filled out a card. And when you turn it in, you'll get a shirt. It's great to have you. But I'm really more happy to have you on the day that we're talking about what we're talking about this morning. We're kind of going this, this journey through the book of Acts, okay? And we're kind of taking a, pic, a, a picture, a look at what the early church did. And we're asking one simple question. What could happen today if we simply followed the lead of someone far greater than us? What could happen? So we're looking at this, the early church. Um, here's what we've learned about the early church. I'm going to go ahead and sum it up in three words. Are you ready? Up and down. That's what we've learned to this point. Now, we've only been through five chapters of Acts, and all and it's like up, down, things are great, things are terrible, things are fantastic. Ugh. That's what we've learned about the early church so far. Now, if, if you're like, um, take your fingers and do this, put it on your neck. Do you feel anything? It's, it's a pulse, right? If you feel that, you can relate to the book of Acts. If you don't feel that, we need to pray for you quickly because you're going to see Jesus and it's going to be good or bad. If you're breathing, you can relate to life going up and down and great days and bad days. We can so relate to good moments, to bad moments. We have moments when it seems like life does not get any better. Um, I'm not just trying to be funny, but like, you know, I remember the first time I held a girl's hand. And it's last week when you and I were sitting on the couch. <laughs> but I remember, I remember going to the movie theater, and you know, you guys, you kind of do the, you, you work it out in your head, right? You've got a plan. Like you don't just grab her hand. You have to have your hand on your leg while she has her hand on her leg, and you kind of work your finger over. And do you remember when you first touched her finger, and you just, it was like <sighs> lightning went through your body, and then you had to work out the whole stretching things. You know, I mean, those are good days. Those are good days. Those are good moments. We can relate to that. All of us have had moments. Now, as you get older, the moments maybe are a little bit more significant, but the feeling is still the same. And we can also relate to having moments when it feels like it can't get any worse. Maybe that same girl breaks up with you. <laughs> maybe you touch her hand and it's electric, and then it's followed by her punching you in the face, right? And you're like, oh, boy, that was really good. Now it's not so good. We can relate to this up and down stuff. Think about your own life. There are two moments. Sometimes those moments can come on the heels of each other. Have you ever heard the phrase out of the blue? Do you know where that phrase comes from? Literally, it comes from the fact that you, sometimes you can be standing and there's a perfectly blue sky and you can get struck by lightning. It literally comes out of the blue because you would get struck by lightning and if we're normal, we would hopefully survive it. And we kind of do this, and we'd look up and go, where'd that come from? And that's what the phrase out of the blue means. It's an actual phenomenon. People can be struck by lightning when there's not even a, a cloud in the sky. Sometimes that's what happens in life, doesn't it? Things just come out of the blue. Uh, Charles Dickens, not that I've read this book, but I do know that he got it right with the first line of A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. He got it. That sums up life beautifully. And so today, um, and honestly, I have had more conversations with you, a lot of you in the church, in the last three or four days when I already knew what we were talking about today. And, and every conversation I had, I would walk away and go, I cannot believe, God, how you orchestrate this stuff. 
Because here we are just walking through the book of Acts, and it just so happens that today we're going to look at a moment in the church history when they had the most unbelievable day-and-a-half experience of up and down. It's good, it's bad, and it's, it just blows my mind how much it relates to where we are today. So take a deep breath, because there's hope coming for you today, okay? Now, here's what I want you to do to get ready. I want you to open up to Acts chapter 5, and I also want you to turn to Psalm 91. We're going to be going back and forth between those two, those two places, Acts chapter 5 and Psalm 91. 91. So I don't know how you're going to work all this out because now, by now, let's see, you've got a Bible, you have one finger in Acts chapter 5, you have one finger in Psalm 91, and now you're going to write notes. I don't know how you're going to work that out, but good luck. Everybody's like, I'll tell you how I'm going to work it out. Notes? What's that? <laughs> Get them online later. Here's the first point. I'm going to make three points today, three truths. Number one, upside-down moments happen to everyone. Upside-down moments happen to everyone. Um, I've got a couple pictures. I'm going to walk you through this just to show you how lots of things can make, our, make us feel like our worlds have turned upside-down. So now, in today's economy, a lot of people feel upside-down on their houses. Right? I actually found this picture. Go ahead and show that. I love that picture. Believe it or not, this is an actual house. The, the, the architect and engineer, they build it to, to look upside down. Um, it's in some other country where they do weird stuff like that. Um, sometimes we feel upside down out of desperation. Love this little squirrel. He's like, he's like, if you could ask him, what are you doing? He'd say, uh, dude, whatever I have to do to get that food, right? I mean, um, what was that movie? It's been a while back. Is it called John Q.? Is that the, the, the remember Denzel Washington? Just a, he's just a regular old guy, and he tries to rob. He needs help. He just, he's desperate. You ever know people like that? They're desperate. They do things out of desperation. It can feel like we're upside down. Sometimes, I love, love this picture, we're upside down because of other people. Um, this says, I turn stupid people upside down and mop the floor with them. You ever feel like the stupid person? and <laughs> Somebody just flipped you upside down, and they're mopping the floor with your head. Love that. Um, Probably the most common reason that we feel upside down, honestly, is just because life happens. So I've got a couple pictures of some surfers getting wiped out. I like that one a lot, but my, the next one's my favorite. I thought you'd be that guy. So I want you to understand something. The upside down moments happen to everyone. Now, when we go to the beach as a family, we love to go um, body surfing. Anybody body surf here? We're not good at it, you know, we just like to do it. And so you're always on top of the wave trying to swim faster to get it. And every now and then, you just hit it perfect. I mean, literally, like, without a surfboard, just your body, you're on top of the wave, and you're looking down, and you kind of go, oh. And then, boom, you hit. Like, I still have a scar. I'm not showing it to you, but I still have a scar on my body where I hit and, and, and like, skidded, a, skidded across. Is that the right phrase for hitting the bottom of the ocean? And I got like, bleeding the whole deal. Of course, I got back up and went back out and kept on swimming and prayed that sharks would not feel the, like, smell the blood. Um, but you know what happens sometimes? You, you body surf, you get thrown over by the wave, and you stand up, and you kind of go, what was that? And as soon as you turn around to walk back out, what happens? Another wave just, like, smacks you in the face, and, and then before long, you think you're this big, bad man, but you're just like, <coughs> <coughs> Mommy! No. Sometimes that's life, right? It's just wave after wave after wave. All of us 
can get turned upside down. Now listen, I want you to hang with me because I want to make a statement and then I need to back it up with scripture because some of you aren't going to like this statement. There is a teaching that goes around from time to time in the church and basically what it says is this. Upside down moments happen to everyone except the people who really love and follow that helicopter. <laughs> Except the people who really love and follow Jesus. There's a teaching that goes around in the church that says if you really love God, if you really love Jesus, you're never going to have a bad time. So I want to take a minute because I've made a statement. I've made a statement that upside down moments happen to everyone. And even right now, some of us, because we've been in church long enough, we're kind of going, well, everyone except fill in the blank. So I want you, if you've got a pen, I want you to jot down some scriptures, okay? Here's a couple scriptures that refute that teaching. Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says that we are to rejoice in suffering because it produces endurance, character, and hope. Romans 5, 3 through 5. James 1, 2 through 4. It says we should count it joy when we meet trials. It produces steadfastness and it completes us. So apparently, another person does not complete you. First Peter 4, 12 through 13. Again, he says, don't be surprised when you encounter trials. That verse actually says that trials prepare us to see Jesus. James 1, 12 says that we are blessed when we stand firm in trials, and it leads us to a crown of life. Now, how many of you would love to have a big old crown on your head right now? I mean, you wouldn't maybe want to wear it all the time, but you'd at least take it to the pawn shop right over there, right? I'm paying some bills with this crown. Apparently, according to James 1.12, when we stand firm in trials, we're blessed, and it leads us to a crown of life. Now, those are all the proof that you need that apparently upside-down moments can happen to everyone, even people that love Jesus. But if that's not enough for you, let's at least write down John 16, because these are the words that Jesus spoke. We know that he spoke them because they're read in your Bible. And he said, in this world, you will have troubles. So if you've got a pulse... You can expect to have life-altering, breathtaking, my world just turned upside down moments. I want you to stop trying to avoid what Jesus said to expect. Tweet that. Stop trying to avoid what Jesus said to expect. It is never the absence of trials that proves our faith. It is the steadfastness in the trials that does. And so this begs the question, how can we be steadfast when everything around us is falling apart? And that leads to the second truth. First truth is upside-down moments happen to everyone. The second truth is upside-down moments are part of a movement. Let me explain what I mean. If we're honest, moments freeze us, right? They freeze us. So, like, if we have a really good moment, we don't want to move. Matthew 17, 4, Peter walks up on a mountain and he watches Jesus like this is a Jesus that wears a dress and walks around and has sandals and he's like a man's man, the whole deal. He walks up on a mountain and Peter sees Jesus start to glow. Now, in the, in the church world, we call that the Mount of Transfiguration. Transfiguration is a really long word and in the Greek it means woe. 
That's what it means. Whoa. Because Peter's like, whoa. Dude. I've, wow. He's hanging out with his friends. He's like, this is the best day of my life. I mean, the best day we've ever followed Jesus. Like, look at him. Like, he, he's glowing. And it's not radiation. And what's Peter's response to this really phenomenal, fantastic, once-in-a-lifetime moment? His response in Matthew 17, 4 is, Hey, Jesus, I got an idea. I'm going to build us a place to live right here. Because he's just like us, right? When something really good happens in our lives, we do not want to move. Your first kiss. You would like it to last forever. You know it's not possible because you'll both die because you need to breathe. Your first date, the birth of your first child. There are moments that we, if we could just capture it, freeze it, we would never move from how we feel in that moment. What about bad moments? I mean, we want to move, don't we? But don't you feel like you can't? I mean, when it's really bad, you say things like, God, I hate this. I can't stand the way this makes me feel. I just want to get out. And you feel like the, everything's just closing in on you. Your chest gets tight. You can't breathe. You want to move, but you feel like you can't move because moments freeze us. We start to feel stuck. I don't know how you are, but when I read those verses earlier, I read those in the Bible, and I start to wonder if the writers of the Bible were crazy. Like, did they really just say rejoice in trials? I mean, how, don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are up against it right now? How many of you are facing one of these upside-down moments in your life right now? And I'm reading these verses, and you're going, what? Rejoice? I'm supposed to thank God for this? Are you kidding me? Someone like, hashtag seriously? That's how we feel. It's, it's sometimes we feel like, God, you're, you're crazy. We have to understand this. I want you to write this down. Understand this. The moments that freeze us are part of a movement that frees us. The moment you're in right now and you feel like it's frozen you, I can't move. The moments that freeze us are a part of a movement that frees us. I learned this last week at a funeral for a man whose family is in the middle of an upside-down moment. Let me just explain. Here's, here's, let me give, give the, the nutshell of, of the funeral. It was a good funeral. This man was a healthy 51-year-old. He gets an infection, and two weeks later, he's being buried. 51 years old, infection, two weeks, gone. Now, I don't know how you classify a world turning upside down, but that classifies for me, okay? And so I'm sitting there. I want you to flip over to Psalm 91. And this psalm is read at the funeral. Now, all of you don't have to be like me, but <laughs> please don't be like me. But the way I interact with Scripture is when I hear it being read, most people, because it's the Bible, they do this. Yeah, that's good. But I, you know, if I think it's good, I'm shaking my head. But if I read something and it just doesn't make sense, I don't just nod my head. I'm kind of like, whoa, can somebody explain this to me? And I had that moment sitting in a funeral, okay? 
Psalm 91 is read all the way through. And let me just give you a couple of the highlights of Psalm 91. Verse 1 says that everything that you're getting ready to read hinges on dwelling with God. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So it's all about dwelling with him. And I know for a fact that this man who just died, he was a man who dwelt with God. Are you with me so far? All right. Keep going. Verse 2. It's all about trusting God. That man trusted God. Verses 3 through 8 have awesome promises about being protected, about being covered, and about being safe. This man dwelt and trusted in God. And in verses 9 and 10 is where I kind of went, huh? Here's what it says. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, which is exactly what this man did. Verse 10 says, then no, everybody say no, no harm will befall you. No disaster, everybody say no. No disaster will come near your tent. And that is the part of the service where I leaned over to Wendy and said, they know that he's in the casket, right? I mean, he's dead. I do not understand. This is a bad moment. Apparently, harm did befall him, whatever befall means. And we're sitting in a church, and this is being read, and I do not understand. Upside-down moments can happen to anyone. Upside-down moments are a part of, of a movement. And what does that mean? It means that there's an, a temporary nature to these kind of moments. They freeze us. We feel like we can't move, but the Bible says that they are temporary. They cannot, they will not last forever unless we stop moving. And so here's in my mind, here's the picture that I have. I want you to think about this. We talk about conveyor belts every now and then, right? So just picture a conveyor belt. You got it in your head? Don't go to I Love Lucy. Just picture a conveyor belt, all right? Just a flat conveyor belt. Now, we're putting you on it, okay? So, Sydney, love you. You're riding the conveyor belt. So, Sydney gets on the conveyor belt over here at this wall, and she's coming down. And is she ever stopping? No. Now, if it's a real conveyor belt in a, in a factory where they're really making stuff, now, I know that these parts don't feel things, but if they could... Like when they're getting smashed and molded, does that feel good? No. So if the part could talk, they're like, this moment is horrible. I hate this moment. And as soon as they get it out of their mouth, they're going cities at the next place. And maybe they're washing and they're drying and whatever. But at some point, because it's a conveyor belt, where does Sydney end up? Somewhere over here. We hope the door's open or she's going to run into it, right? I mean, listen, that's, that is the best picture of our faith. You are on a walk with Jesus. And the minute you say yes to him being your Lord and Savior, you get on a conveyor belt. And you start to go through this journey with Jesus. And there are times on it that are horrible. And we look at those moments and we freeze it. And we say things like, God, you can't be real. 
And he says, why can't I be real? Well, you can't be real because it says right here that if you were real, nothing would have befallen that guy. And he wouldn't be in that casket. You're not real. And we judge it on that one moment. But I'm telling you something. Upside down moments are a part of a movement that is moving you somewhere. All the stuff that's happened in your life this very week that has blown your mind, it is a part of a movement. It is just a moment. It is just a moment. Is it a hard moment? Yes. It is just a moment that is part of a movement. That perspective makes all the difference. That's how we're able to stand firm when everything around us falls. Third point. And this is the big idea, so you can write it on number three, and then you also fill it up top. The movement is greater than the moment. The movement is greater than the moment. I really want to make sure you get this, okay? It's the one thought I want you to take home with you. This is the one truth that I want. You know, we talk about the other six. So this week when you're out Monday through Saturday and you're living for Jesus on the other six days of the week, this is the thought that I want to echo in your head. The movement is greater than the moment. The movement is greater than the moment. I want you to see the greatness that God is achieving for you and for himself, even in the moments that you don't fully understand. So we're going to wrap up Acts 5, wrap up Psalm 91. We're going to see how this truth can help us kind of walk with our heads up, looking for something that's better than the good or the bad days. So back in Acts chapter 5, last week, we saw that in the church they had, um, you ever had like been a part of a church that had bring a friend day? Last week we studied how the early church had kill a hypocrite day. <laughs> it's not really catching on, it's not really as big, but apparently it works. So um, here's what happened after that day, okay? So we're in Acts chapter 5, verse 17. After that day, well, the end of verses 15 and 16. After that happened, they killed the, the hypocrites fall dead. People want to be prayed for. They want his Peter's shadow to fall on them. And then after that, which would be a great thing, it all goes upside down. Here's what happens just in the next few verses, okay? Just to the end of this chapter. Verse 18, they get arrested and put in prison. Verse 19, during the night, they experience the season premiere of prison break. Okay? That's what happens in the Bible. All right? You read it for yourself. Acts chapter 5. Verse 19, it literally says that they arrested the apostles, put them in jail. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. They're told to go and stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. So the next day, verse 21, they're back at it. They're preaching in the temple courts. I love what happens in verses 21 through 24. Basically, they get all the important people together to have this, they're going to have this trial. And they're going to judge these apostles. They get them all together so everything's arranged. It's like, um, you know, you, you get everybody that needs to be there. And then they say, go get the guys. And they walk into the prison. And they realize, like, um, there's nobody here. The guard is sitting right here. Behind the guard is the locked cell. And they open it up, and there's nobody there. And so what happens? All the important people are like, what's going on? Are you kidding me? How can they be out here? And the people that run the jail, they're freaking out because they're supposed to get killed because the prisoners escaped. And everybody's freaking out. And in the middle of all that freaking out, this one guy comes walking in and goes, <clears throat> excuse me, um, take a peek out the window. Because those guys over there that are preaching, aren't those the guys? 
oh, well, how'd they get out there? We don't know. So they go and get them. They bring them in. They have a trial. And they tell them, basically, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Let me just say this. This has nothing really to do with the sermon. You get crazy in love with Jesus, and people will tell you to stop saying his name. Okay? Your boss will tell you. Your boss will say, th say things like, don't say that name. If, when you read Acts chapter 5, they never say that name. They say, don't speak in that name. And if I was the apostles, I'd be like, what name? You ever do that with your kids? Don't say that word. What word? <laughs> don't say that name. What, what, what name do you not want me to say? Bartholomew? You may not say the name Jerry? Now you know that name, the J name. Jehoshaphat? You tell me what the name is. I mean, how to just play with them. Like, don't say the name. They tell them, do not speak in that name any longer. And this is where that verse comes from where he said, you know what? We must obey God rather than man. And so they continue. They have this debate, verses 33 through 39. They, they tell the apostles to leave. And a really smart man basically stands up and says, listen, leave it alone. Because if this thing's of man, it's going to die away. But if it's of God, you can't stop it anyway. And you're just going to be fighting against God. They decide to do that. I love verse 40. Listen to what it says. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Anybody here ever been flogged? That's a bad day, right? Remember that song from American Idol? So you had a bad day. You got flogged. That's not how it went, but it might as well have, right? I mean, it's not good when you get flogged. It's, not, it's painful. It hurts. So instead of killing them, I, said, I love it. He, he persuaded us. We're not going to kill them. We're just going to flog them. And they told him not to speak the name of Jesus anymore. And here's verse 41. This is the one that makes me go, what? Verse 41, after they've been arrested, after they spent a night in prison, some of the night, after they've gotten released by an angel, after they've preached when they shouldn't have, got brought back in again, and they got flogged. So they're walking home. I'm imagining a little gingerly because flogging hurts. And verse 41 says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin complaining always about how they had to suffer for the name. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says that the apostles left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. How do you have an upside-down moment in your life and you rejoice in it? There's only one way. You walk away from the upside-down moment realizing this is a bad moment, but the movement is greater than the moment. And these apostles said, you know what? We're part of a, a movement. We're part of a greater movement. This moment was horrible. I hate it, and I'm not asking to go back and get flogged again, but I'm telling you right now, if I'm going to get flogged again so that the movement of the kingdom of, the God, of God can move and grow, then I'm going to go do it again. And I'm not only going to do it, I'm going to thank God that I got to do it. Now, that is so anti-American, right? Because we're all in grief because Twinkies ain't going to happen no more. And if you didn't know that, I'm sorry I had to be the bearer of bad news. But Twinkie is bankrupt. No more ho-hos for you, right? No more Twinkies. 
And we think that that's suffering. And I mean, I guess if you really like Twinkies, it could be. But these dudes got flogged. They didn't not. They didn't go to, to Krispy Kreme and have to, and pull in like after the hot and now sign. Right. It's just amazing how we define suffering in America. <laughs> what? They're not hot now? They're just like warm in a few minutes ago? <laughs> These dudes got flogged, and they left rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name. Psalm 91. Let's wrap that one up. I'm sitting at the funeral and I'm listening, you know, I'm really, I'm stuck on verses 9 and 10. I just can't get it. I'm like, God, I don't understand. You said no harm would, be, would befall him. I knew this man. He's a good man. He's not here. I'm a, I feel like I'm trying to be a good man. I'm trying to love you, Jesus. Is this going to happen to me too? I mean, is this our lot in life? Verse 14. Because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him where? What's your Bible say? Where? In trouble. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Apparently, the prerequisite, look, verses 14 through 16, here's all the things that God promises. To rescue us, protect us, answer us, be with us, deliver us, honor us, and satisfy us. Do you think that's good? I think that is awesome. And the prerequisite for all of that, according to verse 15, is trouble. Yuck. Because nobody wants that. How does God use upside-down moments to work something greater for us and for his glory? I mean, I just want to give you some proof because, again, this is not me saying this. Just jot these down. Genesis 50, 20 through 21. says what the enemy has meant for evil, God has turned for good. Romans 8, 28. You've all heard this more than likely. God works for the good, all things for the good. And for his glory. For those who are called in Christ Jesus. If you need any more proof, 2 Corinthians 4.17. Paul said, these light and momentary troubles. Watch this. Moments. These light and momentary moments are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Because a moment. Now, we would not say it's light and momentary, right? I mean, if tomorrow, you know, well, we'll. Some of you have had really bad moments this week. I'm not making light and momentary of them. I'm just telling you, they're a moment. And Paul said, that is a moment that sucks. Except for one thing. I see that I'm part of a movement, and the conveyor belt's still going. And over here, holy cow, do you see that? Look at that, look at that. That's, that's, that's the eternal glory. That's what... I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's taking this moment and he's going to use it to achieve that. Oh, my goodness. Ain't no way I'm getting off this conveyor belt. I want to make sure you hear me say this, okay? Because 
people go too far to the other extreme and say, oh, so, okay, I get it. So now we're supposed to ask God for trouble? Mm-mm. The Bible never tells us to request trouble, but it does tell us that God redeems trouble. So do not walk out of here and say, oh, Lord, today hit me with a car so I can bring thee more glory. Yes, Lord. I mean, don't do that, please. I like you. I don't want to do your funeral, okay? It's like people that get in the car and say, I ain't buckling up. It's my time to go. It's my time to go. Say, Dude, it's going to be your time a lot faster if you don't put your seatbelt on, okay? Put the belt on. We like you. We like to keep you here on the earth as long as possible, all right? So I'm, we're not talking about like reckless abandonment. I'm just telling you, don't walk out of here asking for trouble, looking for trouble. Just don't be scared of it when it happens, because God is a God who redeems trouble. The movement is greater than the moment always. Here's what it looks like in real life, and then we're going to be done. Two stories in a video. It's always a good way to end things. When I was in seminary, I had a professor. Awesome man of God. Phenomenal man of God. I don't know if I've ever met anybody who knew the Bible more and who lived it more than this man and he would come in some days with his walker, some days with a cane, and it, the longer I was in seminary, he started coming in in a wheelchair. And he had um, very, very bad arthritis. And I remember he stood up in chapel one day, where Derek and Perry request, and he stood up in front of a thousand students, and he said, I would like to ask the school to pray for me. And they're like, what do, what do you want? And he said, I'd like, to, I'd like the school to pray that God would heal me. And everybody was like, yeah. And he said, wait, but, but if he doesn't, I just want to say publicly how thankful I am that in my condition, once a week, I get to sit in a whirlpool with four other men in a similar condition who don't know Jesus. How willing are you to bear a cross for the gospel? Is it possible that the very thing that you're praying that God would do, deliver me from this moment, and he says, oh, okay, and he takes you off the conveyor belt. Feel better? I feel a lot better, thanks. Is it possible, I'm just saying, that if you'd have stayed on that conveyor belt and you had lived that moment as part of a movement, that others would have seen you do that and would have been more blessed. The kingdom of God would have grown more strong because they watched you go through it instead of asking God to be taken from it. Here's the second story. I'm coming up on absolutely the most suckest weekend of my life. I, I do not like the Friday after Thanksgiving because that's the day I got the phone call that said, Paul, get to the hospital. I said, like, why? Your mom is in an ambulance. I don't know what happened. Get there. And then the next Monday, she's gone. And then 20 days later, my brother, gone. I do not like this time of year. The Friday after Thanksgiving feels horrible to me. And we sat in a hospital room, and we prayed for God to heal my mom. Not only did we pray, but we were part of a church family that packed the halls of the hospital. Like, not with biscuits from Bojangles, but with people praying, God, raise this woman, this saint, off this bed. And 
I used to get mad at God. I know you could do that. Well, what's up with that? You could heal my mom. And if he'd have healed my mom, my brother wouldn't have died because his heart would have been broken. What's up with that? So all this time I'm leading worship at First Assembly. I mean, it was a, it was a mess, right? Like half the times I'm snotting all over the piano. You know, I'm just like, it's hard. And I just tell him, look, if I start playing and I'm, and I'm crying, you can't understand. But I'm <laughs> that's me. You just keep singing. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll be all right. And I remember going through all that in a year, almost a year to the day that all that happened. And I've told this story a couple times. I had a woman walk up to me at church, and, she, and this was what she said. These are her exact words. Pastor Paul, I, I just want you to know that I have watched your family for the last year stand strong and your faith in all of this time has changed my family and it dawned on me when that bad moment happened and we asked God to heal my mom if he had said okay and taken us off that conveyor belt and sat us down and my mom had been healed I'm going to tell you something now, last Sunday was an awesome Sunday in this place today's pretty good too but I don't care how good last Sunday was. Could you imagine being in the service the Sunday after my mom had a brain aneurysm if she had walked in the back of the service? Can you imagine that? Are you talking about people going nuts? I mean, like, I would have been doing the white man can't dance, dance, dance thing. Like, I mean, I've been, it would have been nuts. It would have been electric. Two weeks later, it would have been the same. Am I right? But because God didn't take me off the conveyor belt, because he recognized that the movement is greater than the moment, I had a woman walk up to me and say, I have watched you for a year, and what you have is real. The movement is greater than the moment. When we realize that, we become like the apostles. And though we don't go looking for hard times, when we find them, we can even suffer then and rejoice. We will rejoice that we were counted worthy to play a part in the movement of God's kingdom. This, look, my deal is, we, we can't orchestrate this stuff. This is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. I don't want you to be thankful that you had turkey. I want you to be thankful that you, gathering, have been counted worthy to suffer for the name of a king who leads a movement greater than your crappy moment. And I'll have them too. And in those times, can we just say, thank you, God, that at the end of it all, according to Psalm 91, not only... Not only does he rescue us, it says that he honors us. He's going to honor us. And it all starts with one simple choice. Choosing to be thankful.